Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Margaret Kimberly, who has been editor and senior columnist for the Black Agenda Report since its inception in 2006. Her first book, Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents, will be published by Steerforth Press on February 4th, 2020. She is a contributor to the OR Books Anthology, in defense of Julian Assange. She has also produced original work for Consortium News, Counterpunch, the Dallas Morning News, and the American Herald Tribune. Ms. Kimberly was a contributor to the 2014 book, Killing Trayvons, an anthology of American violence. She is a regular guest on radio and internet talk shows and has appeared on Al Jazeera English, RT, WBAI, WPFW, KPFK, KPFA, Sputnik News, Press TV, The Real News Network, and Govorit Moskva, Moscow Voice Radio. Margaret Kimberly, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. So, so why did you decide to write a book about U.S. presidents? Well, it all began a, a few years ago. It was uh, 2014, I believe. I wrote a column uh, in Black Agenda Report about Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, I had watched a documentary about him on public television, and I was struck uh, about the way they covered up his racism uh, covered up his uh, imperialist crimes. And uh, a friend of uh, and supporter of Black Agenda Report said to me, why don't you write a book about all the presidents? And I, I thought about it. I was like, is there something to say about all four <laughs> presidents? Um, but there is. Uh, there, it's quite a story in uh, uh, talking about their relationship with black people, uh, the fact that the first of the first 12 presidents Ten were slaveholders. The only two who were not were the Adamses, father and son. Um, but uh, I think the thing that I came away with was uh, that racism, anti-black racism in particular, is foundational in this country. And it's expressed in many ways, especially in our politics. And that has been true since the first days of uh, the Republic. Not only uh, was George Washington a major owner of, of slaves, but the, the city Washington was placed where it was uh, because of the power of, of the slave owners, right? Yes, it was. Um, you know, I, and it's, it's a funny thing. I, I, I also learned the degree to which things are covered up, not just about these individuals, but about these countries, his, this country's history. And I was told that, you know, this city was built on the Potomac and, and I thought later, I was like, well, why would you build a new city? There were already cities. Uh, Washington was inaugurated in New York. Then the capital was moved to Philadelphia temporarily. And uh, then they built a new city on a swamp. Um, and yeah. uh, the reason it was, uh, we're, we're told that there was a deal with Alexander Hamilton, and they said the money would be in Washington, the Federal Reserve, and the capital could be someplace else. But why that place? And the reason is that um, uh, Washington, um, uh, the location was firmly in the uh, slaveocracy and the plantation economy, wedged between Maryland and Virginia. Um, I hasten to add there was slavery in the northern states at that time. It was not as integral um, uh, part, and it lasted 
sooner, not as soon as people seem to think, but um, it was really fundamental to places like uh, Virginia, where uh, it was located. Washington had his own personal problem when the uh, capital was in Philadelphia. Pennsylvania passed a law that said any enslaved person who was in the state for, I believe it was six months, would be free. And Washington had these enslaved people, so he just rotated them. And he didn't allow them to stay in Pennsylvania long enough in order to be freed. And I'm sure that was an impetus in making sure that the nation's capital was located somewhere else. I'm sure that it was. Uh, I was struck by the the book has 45 chapters on the 45 presidents, so people can use it as a as a reference. Though I recommend highly reading all the way through it, and it's not it's not repetitive, but it's it's striking uh, the patterns. I, I mean, just as you've already touched on, owning people as slaves was common to more than just. 10 presidents uh, and those who whose families or parents had owned people as slaves was was even a higher percentage of our presidents right mm-hmm. yeah it was uh, I think in total it was 14 uh, even uh, Ulysses Grant who ended up uh, winning the war for the north he married into a slaveholding family in Missouri and uh, was a, a slaveholder of uh, a few people so um, but it was acceptable. Um, not only was slavery acceptable, most of these people were very casually racist in their uh, private uh, lives, in their uh, comments, and obviously racism uh, came through in their, uh, in their policies as well. And even people who we were uh, taught to admire, like Lincoln, um, he wanted to... Uh, maintain the union he, he famously said he would uh the union keeping the union was his priority whether there was slavery or not but he um he not only wanted to help the southern states first he tried to compensate them for their slaves and they of course said no because this was endless profit there was no amount of money that would be enough then he always he never gave up the idea of, of colonization, that is, plans to send black people out of the country. And up until uh, a couple of weeks before he was assassinated, he spoke of, of, of wanting to do that. There was a colonization project to Haiti, um, which lasted briefly. So this is, what, um, this is what we're facing in talking about the history of this country. And uh, we have historians and biographers who... I think by its very nature, people do that because they respect, perhaps even love their subject, and uh, they don't want to be honest and uh, tell uh, tell us things that are are negative about them. Because so many of the things I discovered are they're not top secret. If you do just cursory research, you can find out some of the things I just I've just spoken of in these uh, in these few minutes. But uh, people want to admire, they want to respect, they want to have heroes, and people want to have a heroic country that they can feel positive about. But I I argue that we can feel positive by being truthful. And uh, there are other heroes, people we don't need to hide things about, uh, people who should be viewed in a positive light, who are either unknown or uh, whom we are told uh, negative things about. I think that is 
the way to go rather than uh, assisting in the cover-up. Yeah, and maybe even imperfect human heroes rather than mythological uh, creatures with chopping down cherry trees and wooden teeth and all the rest of the nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, but it's, you know, with people like Washington, the truth is so terrible. Um, If we, we, we're talking about the first presidents, not only were mostly slaveholders, they all played some role in the uh, genocide against the indigenous population. And uh, we have letters from George Washington um, ordering uh, people to uh, decimate uh, native villages in the state of, I believe it was Pennsylvania. He's like, don't leave anybody alive. Take everybody prisoner. Uh, We know what they did. He was the surveyor. The purpose of surveying was to grab more land and to push west, which was one of the reasons that um, uh, the founding fathers, as we're told, wanted to break away from England. England, uh, uh, the British crown, wanted the colonies to stay on the coast. They were told not to expand behind beyond the Appalachians. There were all sorts of considerations um, that uh, they had, but they were intent on taking the whole continent. And uh, you can't talk about uh, Andrew Jackson, for example, and not talk about the role that he played in the genocide of uh, uh, the Native American peoples of the Southeast. So he was, uh, uh, he's, people ask me now well, who are the worst presidents. He's always the, the number one. He's always the one I, uh, I choose. Uh, it's hard to blame you. I, I, you know, I make a, I'll make a case for Harry Truman later. But uh, you know, it's 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 tough competition, really, uh, among these forty-five. And I, I think a lot of people will be aware that you know, right up through Lincoln, every single one of them supported the enslavement of human beings uh, if they didn't mm-hmm. participate in it themselves. But some people, I think, might be struck by how many, including Lincoln, supported colonization. That is forcibly shipping. African-Americans out of the United States, uh, primarily with, with Africa as the, as the imagined destination. It's, it was quite a number of them, right? Yes, it, yes, it was, uh, it was a very popular uh, idea. And um, uh, they wanted, even those who were not, there weren't any abolitionist presidents, I think that's accurate to say. Uh, and the ones who had any misgivings about slavery basically didn't want black people around, and they wanted to have a, a white nation. Um, and the idea of uh, sending pe- black people somewhere else was very popular for a long time. There was an American Colonization Society, um, and uh, this uh, idea uh, was, uh, was rampant, as I said, until the end of the Civil War. Um, of course, it was not workable, uh, having established this um, uh, country that was built partly on slaveholding, that was never going to happen, but it remained a fantasy for a very long time. We're speaking with Margaret Kimberly about her forthcoming book, Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents. Uh, and of course, when we come to the period of, of Reconstruction, presidents were not exactly on the right side. And when we come to the period of segregation, many presidents were not on the right side. I mean, it's a pretty grim record right up through recent times, right? Yeah, uh, Andrew Johnson uh, uh, succeeded uh, Abraham Lincoln. He was from Tennessee. He was a slaveholder. He was uh, Lincoln chose him as his running mate because he was opposed to secession. 
But uh, having been a slaveholder, obviously he was not opposed to slavery. He, um, uh, after the war was over, he tried to thwart uh, all of the um, uh, the post-Civil War uh, amendments, 13th, 14th, and 15th uh, amendments to the Constitution. Uh, and he did as much as he could to, uh, to slow uh, the effort to bring about real equality. He, he once complained that he suffered because he owned slaves. He did so much for them. He went broke. I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was sickening. He uh, said these things in, uh, publicly to other, to other people. Um, so that was the first president. So there was this struggle for the first 20 years or so after the Civil War to uh, com- not just to end enslavement, but to uh, bring about um, a just and uh, a society that strove so- towards some sort of equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the Civil Rights Act, there were Supreme Courts who uh, ruled it in con- uh, unconstitutional, the uh, the presidents who were mostly Republican at that time, even they were, and the Republicans were the party of Lincoln, lest we forget, um, even they faltered. There became a, a, a time when um, uh, the larger white society uh, basically grew tired. Uh, the reaction was, was harsh, and they didn't have the stomach after the war to continue the fight. Yeah. Uh, there were constant compromises on the part of the South. Actually, from the very beginning, the fact that uh, that they put the uh, capital in uh, in the uh, the South, the fact that there was a um, a fugitive slave law in the Constitution, the fact that the Constitution was in effect a pro slavery document from the beginning, there was this struggle, um, and uh, it took a very long time. Uh, there was always hope. Of uh, and this is something that has not changed, and we, we're seeing it again in an election year, where uh, the black population hopes that a particular party or person will be the savior, and if not be a savior, at least keep uh, the most retrograde forces in check. And yeah. for many decades, that was the Republicans. The Democrats were the party of the segregated South, and uh, the Republicans were looked to. Uh, as a party uh, to protect uh, human rights, and uh, that switch came about in the in the sixties, and uh, uh, you know the Republicans now function as the white people's party, but we're still seeing it again. Um, it's it's very sad. I think now, after all this time, uh, black politics has uh, is so shrunken and so diminished. The the goal of the average black voter is just to keep Republicans out of office, and that's considered progress, just yeah. to keep them out of office, not to make a demand, not even to ask a question, just they're so terrible. And now with Trump, of course, that's even worse. Uh, everything is seen through the prism of uh, defeating him, getting rid of him. Right. And uh, people feel that they can't safely uh, enunciate anything else yeah. uh, for fear of, and, and of course, you know, with Trump in particular, um, it's especially bad because anyone who questions anything is immediately, you know, blamed for Trump being president. It's uh, right. propaganda work, unfortunately. But the, but that's part of a uh, dynamic that has gone on for a very long time. It's not really new. 
Yeah, uh, Margaret, you've you've told us who you've named your worst president. So I'm wondering who the best was or the least awful because you've already shot down <laughs> Saint Abraham. And I, I mean, is it, it, surely uh, surely Franklin Roosevelt deserves sainthood or or at least Barack Obama, right? Uh, uh, no, neither one. Um, FDR really transformed the government. He is the the president who established that the federal government had a role to play in uh, the lives, the everyday lives of people. And uh, he gets credit for that. He was, but because he was a Democrat, he did not want to cross the Southerners who he depended upon. So uh, the um, uh, Social Security Act, for example, which was groundbreaking, but it excluded farm work and domestic work. And what did most black people do for a living in the 1930s? Most, well, still today, most black people live in the South. Um, that was even more true then. So uh, uh, the work that many, that most black people did was excluded. And, um, and that's because the Southerners he depended on wouldn't have it. Uh, anti-lynching legislation. There was never an anti-lynching bill. For decades, uh, there were hopes that Republicans, that Democrats would pass anti-lynching legislation, and it never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roosevelt, though, is beloved by black people. I mean, people of my, my late parents' generation, uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that he was loved. Um, oh. And Eleanor Roosevelt, too, she, you know, uh, by having championing people like Marion uh, Anderson and uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, she gave him some uh, cover yeah. at a time when black people were largely rendered uh, invisible. But um, uh, he, and the little he did, it was because he was forced to. I think that's the other lesson. The ones who who did the right thing, A. Philip Randolph threatened to have a march on Washington during World War II. It's uh, there were uh, there wasn't civil rights legislation that would uh, protect uh, black workers in the defense industry, so um, so there was some tepid civil rights legislation there, but that only came about because of demand from yeah. others, which which wasn't too active. The demanding, I mean, during the the Obama years, oh, there was none. That was the that's probably the saddest presidency in my opinion because uh, Obama was was also, is still, will always be uh, loved by most black people. Um, but he, um, he didn't return the love. He, um, he won uh, in spite of his, um, I would say, his disregard for black people, the constant scolding, the criticism. If he was ever, I don't know if you recall, but every time he was asked about anything uh, dealing specifically with black people, he always seemed irritated with me. He'd always give this canned answer: "Well, a rising tide lifts all boats. If uh, yeah. if most more people get jobs, then that will help black people." And that was it. And um, it was partly the result of what I uh, just mentioned: the uh, diminution of black political power and the, uh, the fact that people were transfixed by him personally and by the racism directed at him. So many of his opponents were, were racist. They didn't really have a lot of 
policy differences with him. Yeah. And um, so that drew uh, people to him. And it was always debated for years since I was a child, could a black person be elected president, yes or no? And then it happens, and there he is. Yeah. Um, but we have nothing to show for it. Aside from the happiness, we have nothing to show for his presidency as a people. So, so who was the least awful? You didn't tell me. Ah, who is the least awful? You know, it's hard to say. Um, there are a lot of people who were, uh, you know, least bad. Um, I, I can't really, <laughs> I, you know, don't really have an answer. I have thought about that. All um, right. But uh, they, I guess the answer is <laughs> there's, a, there's a number of least bad people who, um, uh, Johnson, he was, the, but again, he was responding to a mass movement. Uh, you could say the Johnson now this legend. time is Lyndon Johnson. Yes, yes, Lyndon. Sorry, yes, not uh, certainly not Andrew Lyndon Johnson. Um, but because of the demands of the mass movement, he is the one who presided over, who signed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. Right. Um, but I, uh, but I, I, I always reminding people he was um, he was forced to do that. He was he was a Southerner himself, and Kennedy, of course, being a Democrat. You know, yeah. they always wanted to balance the ticket. So being from uh, New England, he chose uh, uh, Johnson, who was from Texas and a, a powerful uh, senator. Yep. But, um, yeah, he was a, it was a surprise that he turned out to be the uh, most effective in the modern era. So now let me ask you, Margaret Kimberly, about something that I'm not sure if we see eye to eye on or not. Maybe we do. Um do you think it would have been preferable to end slavery without a civil war? I don't think it would have been possible. Obviously, no, that, yes, that was have... that wasn't the question. Most of the world ended <laughs> slavery without a civil war. It it was possible in most of the world. Uh, obviously, yes. history would have had to be very different in the United States, and history wasn't very different. It was what it was. But but okay, let me ask it this way. Would it be preferable to end mass incarceration without first picking out some fields and killing millions of young people? Well, of course. It's, uh, it would be, uh, to answer your first question, yes, that would have been uh, preferable. Um, as far as the other countries that ended slavery, I, I frankly don't know enough about how it came about. I know Brazil and Cuba ended slavery even after the U.S. did. Um, but uh, in this country, uh, that was not uh, going to happen. Um, the slaveocracy was uh, quite adamant. Actually, they're the ones who started the war, lest we forget. They gambled and lost. Uh, right. It's the South who attacked but, Fort Sumter, uh, but, and they thought they'd have a quick victory and, you know, they could uh, uh, sue for peace and be left alone. Um Right, but, uh, but yeah, I, obviously, if it could have been ended without four years of bloodshed, yes, that would have been better. Yeah, I tend to think so, and, and I and the reason I ask is in part because of how you talk about uh, compensated emancipation in the book. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. there's something revolting and disgusting about compensating someone who's been enslaving somebody else, rather than compensating. The people who've been enslaved, right? I mean, but yes. in countries and in places, even within the little boundaries of Washington D.C., that that end.
ended slavery with compensated emancipation. They did it in a, you know, offensive, disgusting way, but they did it without years of horrible mass murder and injury and trauma and creation of bitterness and revenge that hasn't died off yet. Uh, so <laughs> would, would that, I mean, it sounds the way you sort of blame Lincoln and others for giving a nod toward the idea of compensated emancipation and, and using it in D.C., that would have been even worse than, you know, than a civil war. Is that, is that really your view? No, um, I would not say it would have been worse. Uh, I think the, uh, my point is that, you know, this compensation where, where it happens, uh, you compensate the people who did the wrong. And uh, even today, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, reparations, and it's such a controversial uh, topic. Uh, I once saw a little factoid about, uh, about Britain, and they ended slavery in the 1830s. And they spent such a huge portion of their budget compensating the slaveholders throughout uh, um, the, the, the Caribbean, mostly. Um, it wasn't paid off until a few years ago, like in the 21st century. And people, uh, some of the wealthiest families in Britain now are wealthy because of that fact. And uh, the idea of uh, 40 acres and a mule, uh, something which actually happened, by the way, in uh, the Sea Islands of South Carolina, uh, yeah. was just rejected uh, out of hand. And... Uh, um, also, the, the reason they, and I think it's important to say the reason that they, uh, the slaveholders said no was that slavery was so profitable. I mean, it was endless profit. So any, almost any amount you came up with wouldn't, uh, would not uh, pay them for the current and future profits of owning enslaved people when they reproduce to own their children or their grandchildren or be able to sell them. So um, uh, had they said yes, and uh, taking the money, I, I suppose that would have been uh, better, but, uh, but they didn't. And I think that's the thing that uh, we have to remember, that these people were um, uh, catered to, all the compromises were made in their direction, so they were not primed to uh, compromise uh, uh, in the other direction, because all the compromises that had been made in American history were um, made for their benefit. Well, I agree with all of that. Uh, we've got about a little over a minute left. Margaret Kimberly, what, what's your view of, of current presidential candidates? Is there any chance of not picking the, the 46th worst person in the country you know, in a row and lining him or her up there? Or is there is it ever going to change? It could possibly change. I think there has to be a um, uh, something quasi-revolutionary. Um, well, maybe it is just plain revolutionary for the United States for people uh, to um, demand to demand what's best for them. Uh, you know, I, I was reminded a couple of days ago the things Bernie Sanders, for example, are, are campaigning on are things we used to have. We used to have college, public college that was, if not free, very cheap. Oh, yeah. Um, we used to have, the minimum wage used to go up regularly. Every couple of years, the minimum wage would go up. And the idea mm -hmm. that these things that we used to have, getting them again, has set the system um, into such a disarray 
is very disheartening, but we have to fight for the things that these people don't want us to have. And the greater their horror and the greater their opposition is an indication of that's what we need to do. Uh, it's the people who bring about change. It could be the civil rights movement or the, we have an EPA because uh, uh, Republicans, uh, senators, were uh, congressmen were targeted for defeat. And it's always the people deciding. And I think that's what we have to get back to. That's what we have to remember. Very then well you have said. a less bad president. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, can, we can try for a, a less bad president. The book is Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents, coming out very soon from Margaret Kimberly. Margaret, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.